0: From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I don't know if Beale Street could talk, but Beale Street can. I'm Bill Curtis. And here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal.
1: Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. So, we thought... We were handling 2019 just fine. We were taking things day by day. We were keeping up with the pace of events, but it is time to
0: admit it. We can't keep up. We need to take a break. While we breathe deeply into a paper bag, here are some of the reasons why we're already nostalgic for last year. First, an interview from one year ago that will be more and more relevant this year
1: with a guy who hopes to get an office so important he'll never have to speak to people like us ever
0: again. Pete Buttigieg. The mayor of South Bend, Indiana, is a long-shot candidate for president, but then again, as we now know, anything is possible. You were elected mayor at the age of
1: 27, which made you the youngest mayor of a city above 100,000 people in the country.
2: Yeah, at the time. Yeah, I was 29. 29. uh, Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, Youngest mayor. uh, Of course, that's a record that you only stand to lose. Right. Exactly. uh, I held it for a time and then somebody uh, uh, sent me a message on Twitter saying, Hey, you can't keep calling yourself the youngest mayor of a a city under 100,000. I've got you beat. Damn, was there a skepticism? Like you're 29 years old. What the hell do you know about being a mayor? Yeah, sometimes door-to-door somebody would say, you know, I got underwear older than you or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) You're known as a South Bend booster, right? We know this. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the best city in the, maybe not the biggest, maybe not the oldest, but certainly the best city in the country.
1: (laughs) All right. You didn't. You didn't just say it's a nice city. You didn't say it's a f- nice place to live. You didn't say. You said it's the best city in the country. So prove it. Go. Tell me why.
3: Yeah! Oh, that's. Oh, oh come that on.
1: Is pandering. <laughs> is it, you, know is you, you can't just gesture to the people. <laughs> <Is> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not leadership. That's butt kissing. Come on. <laughs> Wow, that then. is some quality pandering.
2: So how old are you now, <laughs> out of curiosity? Old enough, i got to <laughs> think about it first. I'm 36. 36, wow. Oh, but, I'm, but I'm
1: 35,
2: and I'm I haven't sorry, done hurry. anything. I've yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> done nothing.
1: I, like, my parents aren't here, but I feel like they felt a little burn right yeah. now. Right then. <laughs> all, so fun, I, all the it. way in New York, the second greatest city in the world. I love right. that. Oh, no. <laughs> is it... When, now, you, you were like headed for, I mean, you were maybe in finance or something like that with your background. Did your friends say, when, oh, I'm going back to South Bend, I'm gonna run for mayor. Did they think you were crazy?
2: Yeah, when, when I moved home, I remember I was, uh, I was getting a beer with some folks and, and I said I was moving home to South Bend. They were like, oh, we're, uh, do you have a relative who's ill? <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> like, no, mom and dad are great. I just want to go home. It's a great city and I, and I want to live there. It's, it's a community that really, you, you get out of it what you put into it. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Wait
1: a minute, hold on. We, we, you're describing the lifestyle or the sewer system? I have no. What?
2: Are you aware that we have the smartest sewer system in the world? No!
0: That's <laughs> I, <laughs> I,
1: I, I wasn't aware That's Mayor. a
2: fact. We have the I, most densely censored network of sewers anywhere in the world. Smart water technologies, actually. But by a big censored, deal. you don't mean. Don't say that. You mean that it is. <laughs> 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 How dare you! You mean <laughs> sensors? Sensor. Yeah, yeah, no, we have these Wi-Fi enabled uh, sensors all through the system. They let us manage the flow, route things where it's supposed to go, mitigates uh, uh, flows going into the river. If if you're involved how, in wastewater, how it's a big specific deal. is it? Is it like oh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like oh god, the has had burrito night again. <laughs> 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 So I I, got to talk to you about your ambitions. Uh, You're a rising star in the Democratic Party. You ran for Democratic chair earlier last year. So so, uh, what are your plans for, say, 2020?
2: No, I mean, I have the best job in the world, and just try to keep my head down, do a good job. and Yeah. Um, I, I got plenty to keep me busy. Right, things, and things are going fantastically well in South yeah. Bend. <laughs>
1: so, uh, does it worry you that, that nobody with a funny name like yours could ever get elected president?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, around here, it's actually an asset. You know, this is a community. We... we you know, a lot of East European uh, sure. settlement here in South Bend. We got one guy, uh, uh, Shibish is his name, he, he, he who uh, ran for office recently. Um, not one vowel in his entire name. Really? I'm not kidding. There's a lot of Y's and S's and Z's. Right. No vowels. Okay. Well Mayor Pete, we have invited
1: you here to play a game we're calling...
0: Welcome to North Bend, stranger.
1: So as we know, you were the biggest booster of South Bend, but what do you know about the town's arch nemesis, North Bend, Washington? (laughs) Answer these three questions, and you will not only win our prize for a listener, you'll also get to wipe the town of North Bend off the map. (laughs) Bringing the great war of the bends to
0: a close. (laughs) Bill, who is Mayor Pete playing for? Colin Pickens of South Bend, Indiana. All right. right. First question.
1: In 2013, the North Bend Fire Department made the news when they did which of these a attempted to rescue a cat stranded in a tree, but the cat turned out to be a rabid raccoon and eight firefighters had to get vaccinated, (laughs) b a reporter discovered that the station's beloved Dalmatian was just a white greyhound with a skin condition, (laughs) (laughs) or c they accidentally pumped jet fuel instead of water onto a training fire causing a gigantic fireball.
2: You know, we have an outstanding fire training center here. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see how... I mean, it's magnificent. You should see it. Uh, and I can see how, if you didn't, there might be issues with which fluid goes in which pump. So I'm gonna go with C. You're right. That's You're what right. happened.
1: And by the way, you were right. What happened was, is the fuel got into the line that they use for recycling the water for their next training exercise, and boom! That man. is rough. Yeah, oh. it went viral on Twitter. All right, very good. Uh, North Bend's <laughs> true claim to fame is that it was the setting for David Lynch's TV series, Twin Peaks. During the filming mm-hmm. of the original show back in the late 80s and 90s, one of the producers got an excited call telling him what? A the National Apple Growers Association was offering a cool million to switch Agent Cooper's favorite kind of pie. (laughs) B, Jerry Falwell had announced that the title Twin Peaks was too salacious for today's youth. (laughs) Or C, Soviet Premier Mikhail Gorbachev had to know who the murderer was
2: right away. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna go with, uh... I'm going to go with Gorbachev. It was a really suspenseful show. I could see uh, I'm picking. <laughs> uh,
1: is, is there such a thing as too smart? Because <laughs> you're right again. That's what happened. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. The car. The producer came from a financier who had heard from his friend, President George H.W. Bush, that that Mikhail Gorbachev had to know the solution to mystery right away. It is unclear, though, if Gorbachev got his answer. Uh, Last question. North Bend is home to Nintendo's main factory and distribution center, and Nintendo director Shigeru Miyamoto has spent time in this town where people have observed him pursuing his favorite hobby. What is it? A, leaping on mushrooms, hoping that one day he'll be launched into the air. (laughs) B, pulling out a tape measure and measuring everything he comes across. Or C, finding kids playing a Nintendo DS, taking it and
2: immediately beating their high score. (laughs) Mm. I'm gonna go with B, the tape measure. Sounds like uh, just the kind of hobby that a great video game designer would have. You're right again.
1: He's obsessed, Mr. Mr. Uh, Miyamoto, is obsessed with measuring things. He likes to guess their size and then pull out his tape measure and measure it. That's what he does for fun.
0: (laughs) Bill, how did Mayor Pete Buttigieg do on our show? With those three right answers, I smell re-election. There you are, Pete Buttigieg is the
1: mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Mayor Pete, thank you so much for joining us. If the world seems like it's spinning inexorably into a black hole of misery, that's because it is. But on um, Wait, Wait, we're always happy to report on people trying to make the world just a little better. Faith, PETA, known as the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, having already ended all cruelty to actual animals, that's done, they fixed it. <laughs> They're now trying to change what?
4: Oh, they're trying to change the way, we, our,
5: our idioms that involve animals. They're
1: trying to change our animal metaphors. That's right. PETA has issued vegan...
5: I just brought on the bacon with that answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: certainly did. PETA has issued vegan-friendly updates to a number of animal-unfriendly phrases, including changing kill two birds with one stone, to feed two birds with one scone... <laughs> leaving to a protest yeah. from the people for the ethical treatment of scones. <laughs> uh, instead of bring home the bacon, bring home the bagels. That's what they want you to say. Bring home That's the bagels. I <laughs> gotta say. Say, like, <laughs> don't, so don't say that. Don't do that if you're in the Midwest and you have a visitor from New York because they will just not shut up about how bad your bagels are. I
6: do have to give props to our French exchange student Brigitte in high school who couldn't get a grasp of all the idioms, and she'd say, oh, Two birds dead.
1: We have some more for PETA in case they need more. Yeah. Like, um, uh, that was the straw which the camel refused to use because it was ecologically irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Like, there's more than one way to shampoo a cat. Shooting fists in a barrel. (laughs) They'd rather be skinned. That's true. (laughs) When we come back, we celebrate 20 years of being tolerated by NPR with two of the people who tolerated us the most, Robert Siegel and Nina Totenberg. And all of you who never exercise, we've got another excuse for you. That's all in a minute on Wait Wait Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe believes fear has no place in a place like home. That's why they made a completely wireless home security system that can be self-installed in under an hour. Simply Safe sensors are built to protect every point of access to your home. Doors, windows, garage, you name it. Best of all, Simply Safe has no long-term contracts. More than three million people have already protected their home with Simply Safe Home Security. Learn more about Simply Safe by going to SimplySafe.com slash wait.
5: The current tension between the United States and North Korea is really intense. And it's easy to forget that the two countries have a complicated past.
7: On the latest episode of Throughline from NPR, we look back at the origin of this strained relationship to make sense of what's happening today.
3: Throughline, the podcast where we go back in time
7: to understand the present.
0: From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. Here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. So, this week, we
1: are out recharging our batteries, which is a euphemism for drinking heavily and sending out our resumes to radio shows that talk about something else. (laughs) Anything
0: else. For example, how about a sports show? We could do that. We've got experience. Here's our exploration of a new kind of sports injury with Helen Hong, Roy Blunt, Jr., and Luke Burbank.
1: Hi, Peter. This is Amelia calling from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Westchester? Now, Westchester, is that not far from Philadelphia, as I remember? That is correct. Um, Westchester is the best Chester. Oh, of course. Oh.
5: Yes. <laughs> what do you and do there? They, I Well, I am a classically trained flute player and I work as a manager at a health and fitness center.
6: Of course you are, because... (laughs) Do those worlds overlap ever?
1: (laughs) Well, welcome to the show, Amelia. You're gonna play the game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Amelia's topic?
0: Duck, you're not gonna believe this. (laughs) Sure, there are your
1: classic injuries. People have them all the time. Runner's knee, tennis elbow, panelist's groin, but... (laughs) This week we heard about an injury happening in a really surprising way. So surprising it made the news. Each of our panelists are gonna tell you about it. Pick the one who's telling the truth and you will win our prize. The wait waiter of your choice on your voicemail. Ready to play?
4: I have a lot of family that's going to be listening to this, so I hope I don't let them down. All
1: right. (laughs) Just like putting the pressure on. Good idea. All right. First, let's hear from Helen Hong.
5: Carl Bradford was not having a good week. Recently separated, he had been kicked out of the home that he had shared with his estranged wife and forced to move into a bachelor studio in the attic of his mom's house. The attic was sparsely furnished with three items, all from Ikea. A fraying brathult pull-out couch, a mom side table, and a hemnes bookshelf lined with his mom's romance novels, an ancient collection of encyclopedia Britannicas, and two urns, one containing Grandpa Joe, and the other, his dead hamster Skipper. In need of a quick furniture fix, and not one to mix things up, Carl headed to, of course, IKEA. But putting together a Songasund six drawer dresser becomes quickly infuriating, even in the best of times. In sheer frustration, Carl hurled one of the half constructed dresser drawers at the wall. It clipped the edge of the Hemnes bookshelf, which, it turns out, had not been properly mounted with a Betty Dlig wall anchor. <laughs> the bookshelf came crashing down, flinging heavy encyclopedia volumes out the attic window and onto the neighbor's car, shattering the windshield. The urn containing Grandpa Joe also flew out the window, narrowly missing the neighbor's dog and splintering into a million pieces on the concrete driveway. The other urn holding Skipper the hamster flew at Carl, fracturing his elbow and covering him in dead hamster dust. Carl, who's been in a cast for two weeks, is remorseful and says the experience made him realize how much he had taken his wife and properly furnished home for granted. He's mending his relationship, vowing more appreciation for both his marriage and all things not Ikea. Uh, A multiple
1: catastrophe cascade, courtesy (laughs) of Ikea, Your next story
8: of an unlikely injury comes from Roy Blunt, Jr. Volleyball is what nudists play. It's a big nudist thing. You see a bunch of naked people and you wonder what's up. Then you see they're playing volleyball and you go, oh, it's nudists. But golf? Nudists playing golf? It don't seem natural. Now it has happened. The first nude golf day at a course in Northern Australia, organized by 69-year-old Brian Jensen, who runs a nearby nudist retreat. Shoes and hat and nothing else. (laughs) Puts another connotation on how you're swinging, said Jensen. (laughs) 30 golfers took part. Only one suffered an injury. Bitten by a scandalized wombat? Ball in the wrong hole? No, this fellow just didn't want to use a cart, so he carried his bag of clubs over his bare shoulder, and it chafed kind of (laughs) bad. Puts another connotation on how's it hanging, I guess.
1: A chafed shoulder from a nudist golf event in Australia. Last story of a boo-boo in the news comes from Luke Burbank.
6: Doctors at Kindred Hospital in Brea, California listed Kevin Doddrell in satisfactory condition this week with a broken leg and radial fracture, but they say things could have been much worse after he raced through a four-way stop on his bike and collided with a UPS truck. His family says things went about as they were expecting, considering he was riding a Peloton stationary bicycle he'd modified <laughs> to take on the street. The bike was a birthday present to Dodgerl from his wife and kids, and he admits to having been a little confused when he first unpacked the gift. Well, I didn't realize it was a stationary bike at first, he told the Brea Post-Dispatch. <laughs> and since I'd already thrown out the assembly directions long before trying to put it together, I just figured it was some kind of weird bike they got a screaming deal on or something. <laughs> Dodgerl solved the problem by lashing two of his daughter's light-up Healy sneakers to the underside of the back of the bike and then unsheathing the giant, heavy front wheel from its frame so it could sort of just roll on the ground. (laughs) The biggest problem is those things don't actually come with brakes, said Dodgerill from his hospital Mm. bed. (laughs) So I brought some barbecue tongs with me. I figured I could kind of pinch the front wheel, (laughs) try to slow down. For what could only be described as obvious reasons, the plan failed. Dodger, though, is not ready to admit defeat, telling his family he just needs a Saturday where he and his buddies Dale and Pat can get under the hood of that thing, and they'll have it working again in no time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's review these injuries. From Helen, (laughs) it was a broken clavicle, I think, and other injuries from a cascading IKEA furniture accident. From Roy Blunt Jr., the injury was a chafed shoulder, an inevitable result of playing golf in the nude, as a bunch of people did in Australia. Or from Luke Burbank, various terrible (laughs) fractures from riding a Peloton bike in the street, which really happened.
4: Good gravy. Good Um, gravy indeed. Let's go with B.
1: So your choice is B, Roy's story about the nude golf tournament. Well, to bring you the correct answer, we spoke to someone familiar with this kind of injury.
7: Nude activities such as nude golf carry their own host of unique issues, even carrying equipment to lead to that injury.
1: That was Dr. natraja and he's a sports medicine physician at Chicago Primary Care Sports Medicine, being very gracious as he spoke to us about this nude golf injury suffered in Australia. Congratulations, oh you <laughs> did get it right. Yay! Roy was telling you the truth in his patented, folksy way, so you have earned a point for him, as well as winning our prize for you. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Last year, we at Wait Wait celebrated the fact that we have been on the air for 20 years. And NPR celebrated the fact that even after all that time, we haven't completely destroyed their reputation.
0: The two sides of NPR, Dignified and us, (laughs) came together when Robert Siegel and Nina Totenberg joined us on stage at the Chicago Theater to celebrate our anniversary and to apologize to them for ruining the brain.
1: So, welcome back. You've both been on our show before. Robert, you have, re- you retired from after a long career at uh, NPR. I MPR. did. I retired <laughs> in January, yes. And, and, and uh, how are you doing? Do I'm you... doing whatever I want to do. Yeah, right? I know. And, uh, <laughs> uh,
7: and it's a lot of fun. Well, how are you spending your time? I uh, listen to some radio. I, I do anniversaries, 20th anniversaries, 30th anniversaries, yeah. <laughs> weddings,
1: permits, yeah. birthday parties, <laughs> birthday parties, whatever you need. Right. Nina, you're still at it. Uh, and are you still enjoying yourself after this, this many uh, years of uh, doing reports? Most of the
4: time, yes. When I got a great story, yes. Yeah. About the eight, hour 18 that I'm on the air, and there have been a lot of those lately. Yeah. Uh, it gets a little old.
1: Yeah, well, I do know that one thing, you've been covering the Supreme Court for many years, but the party scene there is about to get lit. <laughs> <laughs> it's been lit before. I know, I mean, I know. <laughs> I do want to ask you, um, so 20 years ago NPR started this show, and, and you guys were, I don't know, the backbone of NPR's serious reputation. What did you think of it?
4: I thought it was just <laughs> great. I loved it, and I love to be invited, and that we have all these yes. great people here. And you.
1: I, I don't know if the listening public knows this, but everybody at NPR, most especially Nina and Robert, but not only them, actually have tremendous senses of humor and, and kind of I know this, you wish you could indulge it more on the air. So we wanted to ask you now I- I- to go back to some stories <laughs> and see if there's anything you wish you had been able to say. Do
7: you realize how many people have a job to keep us from saying what we might I say? I understand that. I've that's a, seen that. That's, that's a profession. I've yeah. seen,
1: I, 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 I used to watch <laughs> you go-
4: Including you once. That's right, I was, in that,
7: you once. What I happened? was in that line of work.
4: I, I was hosting All Things Considered, and I, somebody handed me live on the air, what I was supposed to say, the intro to a Robert Krowich piece, yeah. and their hands had moved on the typewriter. And so that it was gibberish.
7: Right. <laughs> that was the only thing wrong with the copy, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> it was gibberish. And I
4: said, I looked at it, and I had not at that point done a lot of hosting, and I looked in the booth and I said, I can't read this. <laughs> and pointed at the booth to play the piece. Right. He was then the news director or a vice president for yeah, news or whatever director, yeah. bloody title they gave you in those days. Yeah. Um, and he called me to his office. Yes. And he could barely conduct my reprimand because he was laughing so hard. <laughs> and I, I said to him, well, what should I have done? And he said, "You could have said we're having technical difficulties."
3: (laughs) That's right. That's right. And
4: I have ever since used that. If you hear me say we're having technical difficulties, that means I don't know what the freaking hell is going on.
5: (laughs) (laughs) You two, you two are so famous to uh, to many people, but a very specific group of people, and you're also not recognizable. Like, you hmm. ha- we have to close our eyes to be like, oh, there are those famous people, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what is the funniest or most memorable fan encounter you've had?
7: I, I remember there was a period when uh, the typical Washington cab driver uh, had a graduate degree from a university somewhere in East Africa, or in the Horn of Africa, and they drove around all day, and they all listened to NPR nonstop. And um, I must have had, in the course of a couple of months, three different cab drivers with whom I had the following conversation, which was, you're, you're, uh, Carl Castle." Kassel? <laughs> uh, 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 I would say, uh, no, no, I'm on in the, episode. Uh, uh, Scott Simon? I uh, know. I'm Robert Siegel. <laughs> oh,
2: Robert Siegel! He says,
7: your, your, your coverage of Eritrea is not very good.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, Robert
7: Siegel and Nina
1: Totenberg, we are delighted to have you here, but you know the drill we have asked you here to play a game we're calling Robert
0: Siegel meet actual Siegel Nina uh, uh, uh. mm. Totenberg <laughs> Meet Actual Totem (laughs) Bag. You, two
1: have been subject to terrible puns about your names for your entire career, so why not make a game out of them? Answer two out of three questions correctly. You'll Mm. win our prize. For one of our listeners, the voice of their choice on their voicemail, Bill, who are Nina and Robert playing for?
0: Gail Nicholson of Westland, Michigan.
1: All right. Seagulls seem like a nuisance, but some groups over the years have made use of them. How? A. Fishermen in Nicaragua tied them to their boats like flying sled dogs. (laughs) B. Inuit people used to stuff a dead seagull in a bottle of water and let it ferment, making seagull wine. Or C. Polynesians used to train them to race with each other, and they did it by making them chase a fake herring tied to a kite.
7: Herring? Well, uh, not only Polynesians, people across the street from my elementary school did this, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that one. We're really? going for herring. You're
1: going. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, it really was seagull one. Oh. Yeah, it's apparently a- Seagull wine oh. was terrible, but they apparently should, it, it uh, did the let job. The seagulls but, uh,
7: race around all the time. I know, I know.
1: Okay, here's your next question. Other attempts to make use of seagulls have failed, though, such as which of these? A, during World War I, the British Navy tried to teach gulls to poop on submarine periscopes, blinding the crewmen inside. <laughs> <laughs> B, Amazon tried to train seagulls to deliver light packages to ships at sea. <laughs> Or C, a buddy movie starring a seagull and Steven Seagal stop shooting. (laughs) (laughs) When Steven Seagal sexually harassed the seagull and they quit.
7: Well, um,
4: Um, Paris B? (laughs) A. They think it's the poop.
5: This show always
7: go
1: for the poop or the fart. Okay, all the poop joke. We're no, going the poop. The, the periscope and of and the course poop. that's the right oh. one.
5: Nice. The idea.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the idea was they would train these seagulls yeah. by coating a fake periscope with food, and the idea is the seagulls would then see one, swarm it, poop about it, and that would end the German threat.
5: It worked with my uh, windshield.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <there> you <go. laughs> mm-hmm. So your last question, if you get it, you win, is right. of course now about Tote bags. Good. <laughs> you still have to try to answer it, I know. Robert. I know. Gonna... Everybody loves tote bags, of course. Well, people did not like a certain tote bag that was put out by a Georgia company last year. Why? A, it was a, quote, security tote made of lead with a lock on it, so it weighed 43 pounds. <laughs> B, it was the talking tote programmed to say amusing things when you put stuff in it, like arugula again? (laughs) (laughs) Or C, thanks to an error, it praised Hitler on the side. It's
4: the third one. It's the Hitler one. It is,
1: in fact, the Hitler one. The tote bag was supposed to say, my favorite color is glitter, spelled in glitter. But due to a (laughs) really poor choice of a cursive font, the word glitter really looked like the word Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) So it seemed to say my favorite color is Hitler. Uh, And and spelled (laughs) in glitter. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, how did Robert and Nina do in our quiz? They
2: did brilliantly. Two (laughs) out of three. (laughs) Two (laughs) out of three. Two (laughs)
1: out of three. Robert Siegel and Nina Totenberger, NPR legends. Robert is now walking into people's homes and listening to them. Nina is polishing her Brett Kavanaugh impression. Robert and Nina, thank you so much for joining us for this special show. Robert Siegel, Nina Totenberg. When we come back, it's Music and Murder with Sarah Brightman and John Grisham. That's coming up in a minute from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR Support for this podcast and the following message comes from ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, but today hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. Then ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. Try it for free at ziprecruiter.com/wait Amazon, Google, Facebook. Big companies are getting really big. Is that a problem? Listen to Planet
6: Money's new series on big business, competition, and antitrust law in America. That's on Planet Money.
0: From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is, wait, wait, don't tell me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank
1: you, Bill. Thanks so much, everybody. We're taking the week off from the news. You know, we're just putting our feet up and rocking back and forth, saying it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not (laughs) happening.
0: (laughs) But in case you don't just want to listen to us descending into madness... Let's listen back to our interview with soprano Sarah Brightman. Peter started by asking her about a remarkable accomplishment.
1: I came across that fact, and I was amazed that you are the most popular soprano in the history of the world. That's really quite impressive.
9: I know, so they say. Thank you very much.
1: Yes, I mean, there are some other pretty good sopranos out there, like Maria Callas, you know. Well, she's not with us, I'm afraid, anymore,
9: so one sort of... Yes. (laughs) Over, if yes. You know what I mean. <laughs> if she
1: wanted to keep up with you, she should have stayed alive.
9: <laughs> so
1: uh, I, I, w- w- we've had a lot of fun looking into it. You, you had an interesting start to your singing career, which I didn't know about until I looked into it. Can you tell us about it? Your first big act?
9: I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper. Yes. Disco. Disco era. Sarah, this is Paula Poundstone. I'm not a music aficionado by any stretch, but it's really hard to see how I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper dovetails into a soprano doing fan of the opera. Yes, I know. Well, you see... (laughs) And kind of multifaceted, if that makes any sense. No, it, yeah. makes, it um, makes complete sense. <laughs> so what was, yeah. the, what was the step after the Starship Trooper? <laughs> well, the thing was, I loved pop music, I loved uh, progressive rock music, and I loved listening to sopranos. So I just went into all sorts of different music, and, and that's, what, that's, that's what happened. You became
1: a cat in Cats, and mm-hmm. uh, you came to the attention of a gentleman named Andrew Lloyd Webber.
9: Yes, who I married. You did?
1: We understand that he wrote the lead role in Phantom of the Opera for you. Yes, he did. Uh, Mr. Lord Weber, I, I need to call him Lord Webber because he was raised to a peerage. Do you have to call him Lord Webber when you
9: call him up? Uh, yes, I do, actually. Really? Yes, and he, he doesn't laugh. <laughs>
7: <laughs> Before
1: we go to the game, tell us about the new record. This is uh, your first new record in a while, right?
9: Yes. What do you want to know? <laughs> Tell me what it's like. Well, it's great. Of course. It's just great. You've got to listen to it. Um, I, I came out of the Russian space program as one does, and I decided, and I went and found myself a house on the beach. Wh-
1: wh- whoa, whoa hey, <laughs> wait, what? Oh, hold on. Let's rewind a little bit. The Russian space program? Yes, I was going
9: to go to the ISS. And, uh, Wait a minute. You're to find but,
1: that Starship Trooper? Go. They, were go- <laughs> they were going to send you to the International Space Station?
9: Oh, it was, yeah, it was an interesting and challenging time. But I didn't go in the end. I came out of it. And. Um, came up with this lovely album called Hen, and it's, it's going great. I'm really happy with it, and I hope you all enjoy it if, you, if you're interested in, in listening to it. I, I, I think we are. I'm
1: just going to say something. You are, as I've said, the most popular soprano in the world, but you don't act like it. I mean, you seem a little surprised that people might want to hear you sing. And you're Sarah Brightman.
9: <laughs> you're funny people. I don't know what to say. Sarah, it's not the weird thing that you said. The weird thing that you said was, "I came out of the Russian space program, as one does." Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I've done it. Bill, Bill's done it. Haven't yeah. you guys? You guys oh, have done it. Duh. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> well, Sa- well, Sarah Brightman, it is a delight to talk to you. But we have asked you here today to play a game we're calling.
0: It's not over till Gene Simmons sings.
1: (laughs) So you, of course, created the the lead role in Phantom of the Opera, but before that, the band Kiss starred in their one and only TV movie called Kiss Meets Phantom of the Park. We're going to ask you three questions about the second most popular TV movie of 1978. (laughs) Get two right, you'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is Sarah Brightman playing for?
0: Suzanne Robertson of Atlanta, Georgia.
1: All right. So you remember how this works, we're gonna ask you three multiple choice questions, get two right, you win our prize for one of our listeners. Here we go. Okay. Here's your first question. In the movie, the members of KISS have superpowers which they use to battle an evil scientist at an amusement park who attacks them with robot versions of themselves. Everything I just said is true. (laughs) But drummer Peter Criss of the band KISS really wasn't into this project and he explained it was because Was it A, he thought it was beneath his dignity, quote, I can't see John Lennon getting beat up by Dracula. B, he didn't like the idea of killing the robots because, quote, they may be artificial, but their feelings are real. Or C, he didn't like his fake superpower in the film, saying, quote, I want to feature my real superpower, my extraordinary empathy.
9: It has to be
1: C. It it sadly wasn't. He... It was A, the one about John Lennon. He thought that this this silly comic book movie was beneath the dignity of serious musicians like KISS. Alright, you still have two chances, which is great. In the first draft of the script of the movie, all guitarist Ace Freely said, all his lines were just the noise, Ack! Ack, he'd say. Why? A, Freely was concerned that speaking dialogue while acting might hurt his singing voice. B, it was a tribute to Freely's recently deceased pet parrot. Or C, when the film's writers met with the band to get a feel for how they spoke, Freely refused to say anything to them, but ack.
9: Wow. Let's go to C then. Yes,
1: it was in (laughs) fact C. So he picks up the script and he says, how come the only thing I say in this movie is ACK? And they said, because that's all you ever said to us, said the writers. All right, last question. If you get this right, you win. The production was plagued by tensions and clashing egos. It was a terrible time on the set. It resulted in which of the following happening? A, drummer Peter Chris quit the film after producers asked him to change his famous cat makeup to dog makeup. In one scene, since Ace freely had stormed off the set in a huff, you can clearly see his African-American stunt double instead, or see all of the Kiss songs in the movie actually ended up being performed by Aerosmith.
9: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go for B then. Well, that was very wise of you because it
7: is B. In
1: some if you if you watch this movie and of course you can. In some scenes, Ace Freely scenes are performed by a black stunt double wearing white face. It's that good. <laughs> Bill, how did Sarah Brightman
0: do in our quiz? She slipped a couple right ones in there. So Sarah, you're a winner. Congratulations,
1: Sarah. Sarah Brightman's new album is Him. Sarah Peitman, what a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you so much for talking with us.
9: It's lovely to talk to you, and it was very Thank you. Take care. Thanks,
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the new Capital One Saver card, you can earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That means 4% on checking out that new restaurant everybody's talking about, and 4% on watching your team win at home. Now, when you go out, you cash in. You'll also earn 2% cash back at grocery stores and 1% on all other purchases.
9: What's in your wallet? Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at Newman's Own Foundation.org. From the most popular soprano
0: to one of the most beloved authors, John Grisham joined us last year to talk about his latest novel, The Reckoning.
1: I asked him about his first novel, A Time to Kill, which did not, in fact, set the world on fire.
10: No, it came out in 1989, and it was published by a small unknown publishing company in New York. They printed 5,000 hardback copies, and we couldn't give them away. I bought 1,000 copies and couldn't give them away, so it was a total disaster.
1: Really? How did you ever get the gumption to try again? Well, it
10: was a hobby. It was not a job. I told my wife I was going to write one more book, and if the second book didn't work, if it flopped too, I was going to forget this little secret hobby and just go, you know, sue people all the time. And and so the second book turned out to be The Firm, and that changed everything.
1: It sure did. Uh, Did you, like, sit down and think to yourself, okay, the first one didn't do well, so what do I need to do to write a, a book that will? Did you actually calculate? how you needed to up your game on that? A
10: little bit. I mean, I had the idea, and uh, it, it, the, the idea became better, and, and my wife really liked it, and so I said, okay, I'm gonna be some, a little more commercial, uh, a little more, you know, popular. It was a naked grab for
9: money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. that's, a well, good ch- that's a good title, naked, naked grab for <laughs> money.
1: What's amazing to me is how, I don't know how best to put this, but how how, Relaxed you see I've read that you you have a schedule where you start writing a book in what is it the middle of the summer middle of august yeah you finish by christmas and then you take the rest of the year off Jeez.
10: that was the old schedule uh the new schedule is uh i start a book every year on january the first and finish july the first that's the goal is july the first and so i give myself six months and uh you know it's, it's easy to, to write during the winter time when things are slow and all that i mean i have no real job you know this is not a real job so <laughs> <laughs> i have plenty i have plenty of time to write i haven't worked 40 hours a week in like 30 years Okay, so it's not a real job
6: you've got great titles so your books have good titles are there any titles that uh, that you rejected that you look back on and think i can't believe i ever considered that like what are some of the rejected titles
10: gone with the wind (laughs) (laughs) to kill a mockingbird in cold blood Every year when I start a book, I think, okay, I want a great title. I want something like To Kill a Mockingbird or The Grapes of Wrath or Sophie. you know, some great title, and I just can't find them, so I stick with The Something, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I read that you are really big into Little League baseball. I understand you have six Little League fields on your property? Seven. Seven. Wow. So and and and, and, and who plays on these fields?
10: We have about four hundred kids every year from our neighborhood, from this this part of the county, and we have thirty-five teams, and we have seven fields, and we have uh, we have tons of baseball, t ball, softball every year. I'm I'm the uh, I'm the commissioner because I own the damn place and I make all the (laughs) rules. I paid for it and I make all the rules. It's a wonderful place, and we have kids now who play in our ballpark for. Ten straight years, and they grow up here, so it's... it's, That's awesome. That's fantastic. Do you ever
1: ever throw your weight around as commissioner? Do you ban kids for, like... You know, when you have a dictator as a commissioner, people have to behave. (laughs) I know.
0: (laughs) Hey, John, I understand uh, your wife plays a big role in your writing.
10: She plays a big role. She has to approve each story before I start writing it, which Whoa. can lead to some really testy moments around the house, <laughs> when I have a brilliant idea for a novel and she thinks it's, uh, it's not going to work. I, I get about 30 seconds to pitch an idea to her for a novel, which is really uh, the way you should write. If you can't pitch the thing in 30 minute, uh, 30 seconds, and convince your listener that it's a good story, you're probably in trouble.
1: We read somewhere that one of the things that your wife did for your writings, at least early on, was to nix the sex scenes.
10: Well, she reads a lot of books, and a lot of books uh, of her books have some sex. I'm not sure how much because I don't read those books, but she's always said that men cannot write sex. And so uh, 10 or so years ago, I I wrote a sex scene in one of my legal thrillers, And um, she reads it chapter by chapter, and so I I gave her the the chapter to read with the sex scene, and I heard her laughing upstairs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, oh. man. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. She said, men cannot write sex scenes. I I, I haven't done that. I tried one time, and she laughed at me.
1: Well, John Grisham, it is a pleasure to talk to you. We have invited you here today to play a game we're calling... The Comfy Cotton Brief. Comfy Cotton Brief. Yes, you write about legal briefs, so we're going to ask you about men's briefs. (laughs) Okay. Answer two out of three questions about underwear. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is author John Grisham playing
0: for? Courtney Bond of St. Louis, Missouri.
1: Here's the first question, John. In olden times, men's underwear was extremely valuable and prized by the wealthy and powerful. How do we know this? A. King Henry II of England had a royal supplier of unmentionables. B, King Tut was buried with 145 pears in his tomb. Or mm. C, Peter the Great of Russia invaded the Crimea just to capture a particular tailor who made underwear.
10: Wow, I mean, are you, I'm I'm
1: I'll go with C. You're gonna go with C. Actually, it was actually a. B, King Tut was no. buried what? with 145 royal loincloths. cloths, because you, you know, if you're going to the underworld, you wanna need support. <laughs> Next question. According to a 1933 issue of the trade journal Menswear, a man's underwear should be what? A, quote, should be like a Fort Knox for the bits. <laughs> <laughs> B, quote, should have the grace of Apollo, the romance of Byron, the distinction of Lord Chesterfield and the ease, coolness and comfort of Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> or C, quote, should let a man know that whether he stagger, falter or fail, at least he will not wiggle. <laughs> <laughs> These are great.
10: Wow, I mean, I'm supposed to respond to this? You uh, are, yes. <laughs> so, uh, Peter, I can ask for help? You can do
6: whatever the hell you okay, want. Okay, well, Mo, which one do you want? I want, I want C. Okay, well, go for C, go. I pick C. No, it was B. What? You're kidding! <laughs> Spotting for this. I'm afraid you are.
9: <laughs> I'm so sorry, John Grisham. I'm still. You know I'm sorry.
1: It's not your fault. It's Moe's fault. We have one more for you. GQ magazine, an authority on men's fashion, of course, urges you not not to wear one kind of underwear. Which is it? A Briefs with pictures of animal faces on the front. B Tighty Whiteys because, quote, they remind every woman of their dorky little brother. Or C anything that costs over twenty bucks because by the time anybody else sees it, they've already made up their minds about you. <laughs> um. I don't like B or C. Let's go with A. You're right, yes. We did it. Apparently. <laughs> It is obvious you should not wear the underwear with the big tiger face right there in the front, but GQ apparently felt they needed to let their readers know, do not do that. All right, how did John Bisham do on our quiz?
0: The defendant has been found guilty (laughs) (laughs) with one right out of three. John, you're still a winner. Hey,
10: Courtney in St. Louis, I'm really sorry about this. Look, I'm going to send you an autographed copy of my next book, <gasps> which is not that big of a prize, but it sure beats what these guys are giving out, of
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Counselor, you win that argument. I also happen to know that John Grisham's new novel, The Reckoning, is fantastic. It's available in stores oh, on October 23rd. John Grisham, thank you so much for all the books and for joining us oh, on The Reckoning. Thank pleasure. you, sir. Thank you, guys. That's it for our rest and rejuvenation week. We'll be back next week refreshed and ready to go. Or not. We'll be back anyway. (laughs) Special thanks once again to Farmhouse Tavern for feeding us. And thanks for really bringing the carrots. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions. Doug, watch out for the combine. Berman, the Leverant (laughs) overlord. Philip Godeker writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tran and Mary Olio. Our interns are Alex McCone and Rachel Klepper. Our web guru is Beth Novi. BJ Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornbos, and Lillian King, with special thanks to Peter Gwynn. Technical little is from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillock. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Michael Danforth thanks to Bill Curtis and all our panelists and listener contestants you heard this week and to our bosses for letting us take a week off. We needed it. I'm Peter Sagan, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) This is NPR.